Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Sandhya. And this is The Universal Brain. A podcast where we, two Generation Z Asian American teenagers, strive to share our perspectives by exploring issues that not only affect us, but our audience as well. This episode, we'll be talking about fast fashion, the impacts of that on the environment, and how it is affecting uh, natural disasters and climate change around the world. So fast fashion is was coined be, because it's exactly what it is. Fashion brands will produce items at a incredibly fast time. And, you know, in earlier years, this was unheard of. It would take a while for people to produce one single garment, but this specific type of factory lineup and the heavy and very like mechanized culture around fast fashion is what gave it its name. Um, So popular fast fashion brands around right now are retailers like Zara, Forever 21 and H&M, and they make cheap and fashionable clothing. Often they take popular designs and they recreate them at a cheaper price, but while the price may be cheap um, for the consumer, it comes at a high societal cost. According to the UN Environment Program, um, the fashion industry is actually the second biggest consumer of water, and um, it's responsible for 8 to 10 uh, percent of the global carbon emissions, which is a lot in the grand scheme of things. It's actually more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined, which you think would use more emissions than just our clothes, but it's a really destructive industry. And it's really hard to come to grips with that because sustainable living oftentimes isn't accessible for everyone because these fast fashion brands are so cheap. And the appeal of fast fashion, as Sandia said, is that up to minute, that quick moving um, style. And oftentimes you see fast fashion being really appealing to teenagers and those who um, are exploring different interests in their lives because it gives the opportunity for them to express themselves in different ways that doesn't necessarily break the bank um, in the way that a lot of teenagers, teenagers don't have the funds to do. Um, and you also see fast fashion on its first rise when we talk about the rising middle class. And so after the second industrial revolution, historically speaking, you have this new influx of people who aren't rich, who aren't aristocracy, but also aren't rural farmers anymore. And they have um, they have stable jobs, they live in the suburbs and whatnot. And so these people, um, they needed entertainment. And so this new culture around this rising middle class, um, they have this consumer power that neither group high or low previously had. And so that's what really pushed the fast fashion industry to get this group of people the things they wanted because they were willing to put so much money out in the economy in that sense. But as again, as Sonia has said, because it is so fast, you know, you're often compromising in other ways. Um, As Sonia mentioned, water. So if it, if, water is taking up so much of our resource, we have to think about, you know, other ways. And so a 2017 report from the International Union for Conservation of Nature said that 35% of all microplastics um, from clothing were in the ocean. And so to think that 
not only when we talk about being sustainable, we don't only talk about how we eat and how we use our energy, but it's also where we get our clothes from. And the average American now generates 82 pounds of textile waste each year. And think about where this could be going in other directions, but instead it's going into our oceans, it's going to places that ultimately come back to us. Uh, and there's this term when we talk about um, food chains and when we talk about um, science in general, especially when it comes to the ocean, it's whatever you put in, you get out. And so uh, the most common example, they say it's like mercury when like small fish, you know, they have low amounts of mercury and as you move up the food chains, larger fish have it and eventually people get it. And so in the same sense, microplastics are coming back to us. Therefore, you know, fast fashion literally isn't something you're wearing. It could be something that you end up eating in, in a theoretical sense, but it's definitely much larger than just affecting one impact of our lives. For sure. And I think it's so, it's so multifaceted in its harm almost because we're talking just about the physical like microplastics and the extreme amounts of water that it takes to develop these kinds of garments, but there also is the emissions. And I think the emissions is a really important part that we um, need to bring up because fast fashion, it is estimated by the World Resource Resources Institute that um, it annually releases 1.2 billion tons of carbon dioxide. And as we know, that's a greenhouse gas. And, you know, we're actually trying to decrease our emissions when fast fashion is doing exactly the opposite of that. And like Allison said, a lot of the textile goes into the dump. Actually, 85% of textiles go to the dump each year. And it, there's like this visual picture that's really staggering, at least to me. The equivalent of one garbage truck of clothing is burned or dumped in a landfill every second. Um, and obviously these numbers are changing as you know the world changes and consumer trends change, but that is an incredible amount of waste and it's an incredible amount of emissions that we are putting out, especially considering that fast fashion is all based on trends because they are so able to reproduce garments so quickly, they prey on like what's in season. And so that leads to consumers not wearing their clothes or getting rid of their clothes at a faster rate. So these are all really like problem areas. And it's not just that, you know, it's affecting what, we're, what we eat. We can see that on a global scale, like this is having repercussions down the line. It's it's, in, it's exacerbating climate change and climate change is all affecting us and it's affecting us now too in different ways. And more than that, um, in the effect of climate change, um, we're talking about not only when a textile is being made, we talk about what happens when it reaches the consumer and when they throw it out. And so uh, generally, unless clothes are being donated or they're being repurposed or recycled, you know, um, as Sandy had said, you know, these clothes are literally being burned, they're being sent to the incinerator. Um, and instead of being burned, we have different ways that we can reintroduce these clothes to the supply chain as a part of another garment or whatnot. And to think about it in an ethical sense as well, um, when we talk about fast fashion, you have to talk, think about the workers who are behind it. And so from a study death done by the UN, it was found that 80% of apparel is made by young women between the ages of 18 and 24. 
And so child labor extends from so many third and second world countries around the world because great big nations that have a lot of power, that have a lot of standing um, and money, they are essentially, we exploit them for you know, what they don't have and in their desperation. And so we talk about Argentina, Bangladesh, Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, Philippines, so on and so forth. And, you know, whether or not we respect the clothes that we have, we have to respect that this work is coming from somewhere and that we are severely underpaying them. And so I think that leads us into, you know, sustainable fashion. So how do we be good about the choices that we make in order to reduce the effects of climate change. And so I wanted to bring up um, an organization, a charter actually, called the Fashion Industry Charter for Climate Change. And so essentially this charter placed the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement at the forefront, um, goals such as limiting global temperature rise to well below two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial goals. And so this essentially just means bringing the um, global climate back down um, to a certain level that we knew was healthy for the planet that is not so destructive as we know today. And so notably this charter has done things um, like encourage H&M to establish a plan to be running on 100% renewable energy by 2040 and use fully circular production models and then um, Levi Jeans that brand they announced that by 2025 they'll be reducing greenhouse emissions of their own facilities by 90% and of their supply chain by 40%. And these are all great steps um, in the right direction, but also sustainable fashion isn't sustainable for our wallets, I guess you could say at the same time, because it is something that requires much more money because it, in theory, sustainable fashion, you are paying ethically, you are working ethically. Yeah, exactly. It's almost, in a way, it almost costs more for a company to be a good producer, a good influence in society than for it to be bad. It, it's more profitable to be bad in this economy. And I, you know, say what you will, that might be a very jaded way of looking at it. But sustainable fashion right now and sustainable living in general is elitist because those who market themselves as sustainable um, have to pay so much more for fibers that are sustainable. Um, they have to pay so much more to work around things to figure out how they have a low water impact and a lower impact on the environment, or they're actually paying their workers decent wages. So they need to jack up their prices to actually have a profit margin. And that is why I think like the prevailing economic theory of you know businesses not changing because they don't have a monetary incentive it it holds so true because you know it really isn't profitable for companies to be sustainable and it isn't it isn't logical to expect every consumer to to be able to just buy um things that are sustainable because they can't afford that like minimum wage workers um they don't necessarily even have a wage to compete with like the general standard of living now so how are they supposed to go the extra mile for sustainable living um which is why i think that like realizing not only like 
us as a society, but like governments and policymakers realizing that like these sorts of like branches of the consumer market are all tied to our progress in terms of climate change is so important because you know, there could be some regulation of prices when it comes to sustainable living, or there could be some policy that's made against these fast fashion brands that finally, you know, like gets the horse moving for making like sustainable production norms. And, you know, acknowledging that not everyone has the chance, but um, consumers um, that do, you know, that we have the choice of choosing between something fast and something that's more sustainable, I think we should all be making that conscious choice. And so, you know, in juxtaposition of fast fashion, there's this term called slow fashion. And so slow fashion essentially is a synonymous with sustainable fashion. We're talking about things that take time, take quality, and that are built to last. And so um, slow fashion revolves around the idea of not buying so much. It's um, buying clothes that are made to last, reusing those clothes, um, you know, trading clothes with friends and family, buying secondhand, um, and being really conscious about what you buy online, you know, um, exploring actually what brands do. So what is this piece of clothing made out of? Is this fabric reused? How long might it last? And so it really brings insight to, you know, especially very popular sites like Sheen, um, Romley, and other big sites that produce two, three dollar clothes that frankly don't last for a very long time. And more than that, um, you know, we talk about environmentally friendly fabrics um, and we should be doing our research to make sure that companies we are buying from use natural resources, um, opt for renewable energy, and, you know, make sure that their workers are paid, compensated, and treated fairly. Um, of course, this is something that's not available to you or not something that's possible. That is okay, because we realize that the world we've built isn't you know very kind to everyone um and so you know often we talk about you know being efficient upon and you feel like you can't do anything but you know like i had said before the average american produces um 82 pounds of textile waste each year if you yourself can reduce that then you're doing something for our planet and something against climate change and fighting against the forces that are you know, destroying our planet in a sense. And, you know, Ali talks about um, how they're destroying our planet. And I think that we need to elaborate on that more. Um, so obviously fast fashion is emitting an incredible amount of greenhouse gas. In addition to, you know, water supply adding to waste, um, the microplastics. So like we said, it's multifaceted, but let's focus on the carbon emissions for one second. Those carbon emissions um, are contributing to the greenhouse gas issue, which, you know, in turn contributes to a general warming of the world, hence why we call it global warming. Um, with the increasing of the global surface temperature, there is an increased possibility of more droughts, um, there's an increased possibility of um, having more intense storms. And um, these are all things that, you know, aren't desirable. But yes, we would have storms and we would have droughts. Um, but climate change and our, our human activity exacerbates 
this and makes it like more of a dire issue. And so as water vapor is evaporated into the atmosphere, it becomes fuel for more powerful storms to develop. And because there's more heat in the atmosphere and a warmer ocean, the surface temperatures in the ocean are leading to an increased wind speed in tropical storms. And there also is um, the fact that the rising sea levels are exposing higher locations, not usually subject to the power of the sea, to the corrosive waves and currents. Um, so we're seeing not only just like tropical areas being affected by tropical storms, but um, just like the whole world in general is suffering from these an increased risk and um, a uh, more serious storm. And, you know, there's also like California is having droughts all the time. And, um, you know, the sea levels are rising. Like, it's, it's sad that, you know, there are children like me who go to the beach sometimes and I'm like, that house is not safe. Like, the sea level is going to rise and swallow that house up. There are like people in this world that are already planning for a life completely like floating on water in the future. And this all is tied back to uh, the increase in human activity, our increased consumption of fast fashion. It's all driving the problem forward. Um, and I think this like really ties back to what we're seeing in Haiti right now. Haiti suffered a 7.2 magnitude earthquake recently, and it killed more than 1,900 people and left thousands of other people injured and, you know, displaced from their homes. They're still like sorting through the wreckage and just figuring out what they're going to do. But on top of that earthquake, which was, you know, it did enough damage itself, there was a severe storm and a tropical depression. So Haiti was drenched in heavy rain and, you know, faced flash floods and the threat of mudslides. So it halted even the recovery from the earthquake. And this just kind of exemplifies like what in particular small tropical islands are facing because of global human activity. So not only is Haiti physically exposed, uh, they also have socioeconomic conditions that are kind of, you know, turbulent, especially with what's going on in the government right now, like there and, and the pandemic, there's just a lot of um, infrastructure issues and poverty sometimes that like isn't clearly addressed in the pandemic and natural disaster disasters have extremely worsened this issue, but they are extremely vulnerable to climate change. Another example of that is uh, the capital of Indonesia, Jakarta. And Jakarta is known as like the fastest sinking city in the world. And it is exemplified by this climate change and, you know, the rain and flooding as Sonia had said. Um, and so North Jakarta has already sunk um, 2.5 meters in 10 years. It is going to continue to sink as much as 25 centimeters a year in some parts. Um, and it is suspected that by um, 2050, parts of the megacity could go entirely submerged. And this place is home to 10 million people. And so, you know, as an American, at least, 
sometimes it's hard to see beyond the bubble that we live in and realize that you know we not we may not be facing the consequences directly but someone else is and from a personal standpoint as Sandy has noticed you know looking at those houses I've been fortunate enough to you know grow up and be able to you know see a beautiful California beach my entire life and you know, being this young and not quite realizing what it is and, you know, seeing it now as I've, you know, learned more and gained more experience, you realize that it's happening in front of your eyes. For me, if, even if I didn't care about the rest of the world, I care about my home and I care about where I've grown up in and these memories I have. And, you know, you know, I hope other people can have those memories. And so I think it also can become very personal, right? to protect these coast places and these places that we treasure so much, but yet we don't care about when it comes um, to our living. And a further consequence of um, climate change in that sense is what we call acid rain. And so acid rain, um, it's when water reacts with sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides, and it creates this really acidic rain that comes down and it burns everything that it touches. And so acid rain is caused by these burning of fossil fuels to generate energy, which is created by the fast fashion industry and so many others industries um, and like vehicles and heavy equipment and whatnot. And so um, being aware that, you know, on the coast, you see houses and countries going under, but still in the middle um, of, you know, you could say the U.S. Midwest, you're still facing climate change in other ways. And with all being said, I think the moral of the story is that climate change and the things that are happening to us, um, it, we are a global people and we have a global responsibility to face this, uh, whether we choose to do it together or not. But we almost realize that we're all facing the consequences, whether directly or indirectly. And a big part of that, you know, starts with diet, starts with so many other things, but especially starts with what we wear, it starts with fast fashion, it starts with how we treat our products and, you know, what we hope for the future. Yep, I think that also ties back to what we were talking about in a previous episode about like being a global citizen. I think not only that that doesn't just apply to like getting vaccinated and like helping other people out with vaccines and other countries and stuff but it also applies to this idea of how we all share one earth and you know our earth isn't property like it's not something that we can destroy and everyone in the world will go on yeah I, I think that's like an idea that is very important for people to learn at an early age just so we can function as like a more kind and cohesive society with that being said, we should move on to our rice of the episode. So today is in honor of Haiti um, and how we've been talking about their vulnerability. We wanted to talk about like um, some of their culture and uh, rice dish from their culture. So this dish is called uh, Haitian rice and beans. And it just basically is composed of bell pepper, spices, tomatoes. But the key aspects are obviously the rice and red kidney beans. And so this dish is like just a very hearty staple uh, for their culture. And it's similar to a lot of other cultures like who, um, who use like traditional rice and beans like um, a lot of Latin American cultures, even in Indian culture, there are uh, different rice dishes. Um, and we do have like 
curries with beans and stuff. So we wanted to thank you so much for listening. We also wanted to remind you that there are various relief funds that you can donate to for Haiti. And we encourage you to do so if you are able to. And we will catch you in the next episode.